I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording on today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I extend my respect to their elders past, present and emerging, and any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander listeners that we have joining us. Sovereignty has never been ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. I'd already followed the advice of a lot of people. You know, I saw what my brother did. My family encouraged me to become a teacher and I just followed that advice. And so I went to uni and I got a job as a teacher and I was in it for about a year. I felt really conflicted deep down. Like I'd lay awake in my bed at night and think like, this can't be it. Jesse Maguire is an Australian educator and mindset coach. He's worked for the University of Newcastle, researching artificial intelligence in schools. He has a teaching degree with honours, plus a Master's of Business Administration and a Master's of Marketing. Today, he's the founder of Mind by Design, a global personal development business and community for men and women who seek clarity, purpose and authenticity. Jesse is an expert at helping people get clear, feel confident and build the courage to take brave steps towards what they really want. Jesse is also one of my close friends. <laughs> This is Life Chats, deep and meaningful conversations with friends and strangers. Now, I think getting to know someone, it's really interesting to hear about what they were like as a child. And I met you in high school when we were a little bit older. We'd go to the same parties and that sort of thing. But I want to hear about what you were like as a kid. What did you love to do? What was your energy like? How would your family have described you in those early years? We're getting straight into it. We're going there. Um, You know, I think, like you say, we met when we're growing up and there's so much to say about high school and identity and change there. And I, I was thinking about this the other day. It's like when I ask myself, who am I? It naturally conjures up the past. And I'm interested in that because I want to honor and respect who I am. But at the same time and in the same token, I ask myself, who do I choose to become? And that's more future forward and future focused and it can really be practical. And that's what I'm concerned about nowadays. Like what's the practical thing moving forward that I can do with my life? But if we're to circle back to that kind of stuff, I grew up on the Central Coast. I'm the youngest of three boys. I absolutely loved surfing. I love the ocean. I love nature. Um, I was very much a sponge when I was a kid, like not in the sense of like I was a really good learner, but like I literally was a sponge. I sat on the lounge, did nothing, played mm-hmm. video games. <laughs> and then uh, I think I was probably like 16. I got into surfing and that really changed everything about you know, fitness and health and getting out there. And yeah, I just, I'm really glad I did. Um, Both my brothers were like big footballers and it just wasn't my thing. Mm -hmm. I tried, but then it just didn't work out. My dad was a pro football player in the 90s too. And I was just interested in other stuff like freaking art and drama. Like I did drama at school and speaking and music and yeah, learning to honor those desires for what they were instead of trying to conform to footy or a typical path of what I'd seen my brothers go through was a very good, you know, maturity. Uh, It was really good to just think about what's my path and where am I going at such a young age and I think that's what's crafted kind of who I am today. 
The reason I ask is because you are honestly one of the most joyful and playful people that I know. Oh, that's you nice bring such like a fun, childlike energy everywhere you go. I feel like you see the joy in such small things, which is beautiful. Like we all need to strive to be a bit more like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, I was just interested to see if you, you've always been like that, if you've been very like aware and connected to nature and interested in connecting with other humans or if that has been fostered. Yeah, no way. I think like right. I woke up yeah. and became more conscious when mm. I was probably like 23 and I'm 26 now. Yeah. And I feel like, oh God, like I'm just getting started. And still I reflect on it at the same time and I think, yeah, that's who I was and and it was what has led me here and now who do I choose to become is such a pivotal question of my life because I don't judge myself from my past. I think about what actions can I take now to judge myself accurately and yeah, that's really useful. Well, I am going to circle back to the waking up consciousness yeah, a little sure. bit later. Maybe let's talk about what you did after high school. So, mm -hmm. where were you at mentally? What sort of things did you enjoy doing? How did you see your life playing out? Like, mm. What did you get up to? Well, it's interesting for the position I was in a couple of years ago because let's circle back to year 11 and 12, HSC, everyone's stressed, thinking about what they want to do. And I was just so unaware of what I wanted. You know, there was so much pressure at my school to figure out your career path, your ATAR, be focused. And they built up this wall around school and a wall that separated school from the outside world. And it really hurt when I realized that that was all built up. Like the outside world was this big, scary place that you need to get sorted for. When I left school, it was nothing like that. I had mm. so much more freedom. Um, and I could do what I wanted. Anyway, my other brother, my oldest brother was a high school teacher. And I was like, that looks cool. The lifestyle looks interesting. I can travel. I can have an impact and so on. And so, I just decided to do teaching. Anyway, got into uni, really decided that I liked it once mm -hmm. I did some practice and I was learning about education, educational psychology and so on. So much so that I became a teacher and started working and absolutely loved it. I actually was thinking about doing a um, education master's at one point, mm -hmm. but kind of got into uh, the field and thought, no, I want to be able to do a bit, a little bit different things. Yeah. And then you did your MBA. Yeah. So where did that come about? So when I was a teacher, I'd already followed the advice of a lot of people. You know, I saw what my brother did. My family encouraged me to become a teacher mm -hmm. um, and I just followed that advice. And so, I went to uni and I got a job as a teacher and I was in it for about a year. And it was really an interesting experience because I felt really conflicted deep down. Like I'd lay awake in my bed at night and think like, this can't be it. I, I know I should be grateful for what I've got in regards to my degree the life that I've set up, everything was really straightforward, but the trajectory of it wasn't something that I deeply desired. And so, I'd lay awake at my bed and, and think like, this can't be it. I know that feeling. Yeah. And, yeah. I, just, and I felt so hurt because I was yeah, like, I should be grateful, you know, mm -hmm. which really played on my mind. Like, mm -hmm. I should be grateful. And, and then I would be 
um, feeling like such a hypocrite at the same time because I'd talk to my students in high school and say like, follow your heart, mm. chase your passions when I wasn't really yeah. respecting my own deep down. So I felt really out of alignment mm. and out of integrity. And it reached a point where a bit of a breaking point that things were kind of crumbling. And I think I did that intentionally because I wasn't happy with my life deep down. So I sabotaged things unconsciously to be able to break it down. And I knew I needed help at that time, so I got a life coach. And I remember what she said to me after I told her my dreams and my hopes about going back to uni, studying a master's, building a business, traveling, and so on. And she looked at me and said, well, what's your worst case scenario, Jess, if all of these dreams failed? Mm -hmm. And I thought about it for a second. I said, I'd probably just come back to teaching at what I was doing at that time. And she looked at me and said, well, how does it feel then to be living a worst case scenario? Oh, my God. And I was like still going to work as a mm. teacher, had so many ideas but never taking action on them. And I realized how little I was risking for the dreams and hopes and desires that were mine. Mm. You know, after that point when she dropped that bomb on me, I was like, damn, I am not risking anywhere near enough for my hopes, my desires. And I had not been acknowledging my own needs for such a long time because I'd been following that advice of my parents, my teachers, just natural society, m general markers of success. And that's when the inner work started for me. And that was the blossoming of that awakening, so to speak. Yeah. I just want to add to that because it's definitely, it's similar to what I've been going through and what I, how I felt the last few years. But I think it's so interesting that there's this social like and cultural narrative around what success looks like. And we talk about this all the time, but even for example, yesterday I went to a show with my parents. My cousin's a professional dancer and she's incredible. Like she's with the most amazing companies. They tour Australia, they tour the world. It's very reputable. It's very respectable. But she basically said yesterday selling like a sold out tour was the first time that she feels validated and proud to say that she's a dancer because her whole life she's just received such bad sort of feedback from the world around her about like, you can't be a professional dancer. Is that seriously what you want to do? Is that seriously how you want to spend your time? Mm -hmm. And so I think for a lot of creative or just any profession that goes against the grain, you have to be prepared to kind of be so true to yourself and know that it brings you joy and it brings you value and you and you're living your vision out because if you listen to the people around you you'd never do anything and i also noticed yesterday my parents narrative around like isn't that great it was a sold out show wow can't believe that people come and watch these things it's like hearing that as a child growing up no wonder we think that our dreams aren't achievable because we're kind of scared into the thinking that we have to have stable jobs, creative things don't make money. So yeah, I'm proud of you because that was a big leap to make at a young age. I think a lot of people get to the point where they're like 30 or 40 and they've done 10 years in a job they don't like and they decide, I can't do this anymore. I'm out. I'm doing what makes me happy. But you decided really quickly, no, this is not for me. And you you pivoted. So proud of you for doing that. Thank you. I feel like in the beginning of our journey, gathering those testimonials is so mm. useful from your sister, from people you, that inspire you, people that are all around the world on social media, I recommend connecting with them. I recommend reaching out to them. I recommend getting into groups that normalize that type of standard, that talk about a new definition of success, that talk about where you strive um, for excellence over perfection mm -hmm. and where you make the discernment and redefine where your worthiness comes from. Because when we have those outdated or borrowed ideas of 
what makes me worthy. We're constantly chasing. We're constantly avoiding our problems. We're constantly trying to get approval from others. And we know and we hear about that doesn't make us happy, but we still do it. I still do yeah, it. Yeah, so do I. You know? I think it's fear. Of I course. think it's fear of like the unknown too, because even just like having this podcast and having plans to step out of the normal nine to five life, even I see how my parents and friends react. It's like, oh, well, like, how are you going to do that? Like, how are you going to make money? How are you going to do this? There's so much fear around doing something that's not the norm or the perceived norm. But I feel like if you're the first to do it in your friend group and your family, people want to know. People want to know how, how you found the courage to just step forward and, and create your life, which your business is literally called Mind by Design. I feel like it's it's life by design as well. It's living your life the way that you want to live it in a way that feels good for you. But let's talk about that awakening. So one of my questions was, have you it's talk me through your spiritual awakening because I know you've had one. I've had one too. <laughs> so talk to me about how that came about. Was it an overnight thing where you kind of just did an Eckhart Tolle and woke up one morning and was <laughs> yeah, like, I'm awakened? <laughs> or was it gradual? Did your behaviours change over time? Yeah. What There's this great like? line in um, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown mm, where that. she writes, when I had my mental breakdown and then it's scratched out and then it says spiritual awakening. True. <laughs> like so true. It is so true. Because the vortex of change that we go through when we're having that spiritual awakening, if you want to call it that, or just awakening or transformation, you know, where mm -hmm. you're going through a deep metamorphosis, mm -hmm. we have this expectation that it's going to be like, I'm sitting under a waterfall meditating and I'm journaling and it's all pretty and there are butterflies. But the reality is you're in a room full of shadows, you're questioning your identity, <laughs> things are peeling off like it feels crazy. And anytime I have those moments, I remember that that's a part of it because my ego is so afraid and that's normal because it doesn't want to change. It doesn't want to have to go through that effort. But I think if we lean into those moments with curiosity and have our non-negotiables such as journaling and meditation and coaching and so on, we can explore those moments with a lot more courage, right? And get to know what it means to be human. I think that we all have a f faculties within us all that can navigate these things intuitively and it's good to have help and it's good to be inspired but I think you are your best resource when it comes to mm. these transformations and to get someone else's opinion is just you trying to seek your own voice your own um, deep validation that you already have somewhere within you but maybe you're too lazy to do the work or you don't have the tools enabled to or you're scared. connect to that or you're scared yeah mm. sure and we need that compassionate witness to help us feel but the distinction that I make with these uh, kinds of faculties is that I call it we have the scared voice and we have the sacred voice the scared voice is reactionary fear-based mm -hmm, quick mm -hmm. right and it keeps us safe but then the scared voice is far deeper and intuitive and visceral and feeling and ancient. And we have to get quiet. We have to be in nature. We have to be not distracted. We have to meditate and journal to get in touch with that sacred voice, which whispers our direction, our secrets, our next level to us. And yes, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be so worth it for you to lean into this expansion of your next level. That's so true. That's like really, really powerful because I think people who haven't experienced that connection yet, it's hard to imagine how that would feel. But uh, for me personally, like I've done a few 
I think everyone needs to get clear on how they can access that firstly. Some people call it flow when they're in the creator's flow and they can feel so aligned and intuitive. Some people get out into nature, jump in the ocean, meditate. There's so many different ways. For me, I think I've always been a very spiritual person, but um, a few years ago I started fasting, like doing extended fasts, and that just blew my mind how it opened my mind literally i felt like a channel and i was channeling this divine energy through me and up until that point i remember literally writing in my journal i've clogged the channel like up until now i have distracted myself i've busied myself i've eaten bad low vibrational foods i have kept myself busy all the time i have shut off my vulnerability from connecting with others and i have literally clogged this channel that is a miracle that we have the power to do that and so i think now i know what keeps it clear or at least that how it that's how it feels to me is like eating really beautiful organic clean food where I can drinking lots of water getting out into nature keeping off social media being around people that make me feel positive and happy and I feel like when you get all those things into alignment you start to really notice the power of your own body and mind and what it's capable of up until then you're kind of in survival mode yeah. or or this like kind of a sleep state that people talk about not being awakened it's because you're not aware of yourself and kind of what you need as you said yeah and what comes through for you g when you are clear just so much creativity i feel like i feel really um in line with my purpose i feel like i can hear what i need to do next like you said that sacred voice it's like guiding you i know Mm. like exactly what direction i need to head in i think when it's clogged i'm like running on survival mode yeah yeah, what about you? Yeah, very similar. Um, it moves from what can I get from this to how can I serve the person in front of me? Because as a coach, it's tempting to perform. Mm. It's tempting to sound smart. It's tempting to make things complex. Mm. Where it's my responsibility to be centered so that I can zoom in on people and help them and perhaps have some other force like God or spirit, it feels like come through me and speak to people at times because I'm just a 26-year-old dude from the coast. (laughs) And some of the things that come out of my mouth, I'm like, that wasn't me. I feel like that too sometimes. And it really Mm. helps people and it really helps them change. And I just think, I just pray and I think thank you um, for letting me serve. Yeah. And have this message come through you. I think one of the biggest challenges for me is is staying grounded and staying real. My best friends help me do that because I think there's no point in me getting on this um, pedestal of seeming spiritual or sacred or divine without having real-world, tangible, relatable concepts that people can use. Um, and help change because we all have responsibilities and families and obligations and we have pain. We have to regulate our emotions. We have to go to our job. So, what's the point of that if we're talking about the stars? Mm-hmm. Like, what, well, the angel's going to do it? Like, yeah, yeah. what are we, we doing do on that. planet Earth? Yeah. And there's this great quote by Martin Luther King. He says, the people that love peace must be organized and as efficient as those who love war. Mm-hmm. And that clicked my brain a couple of years ago it just really clicked in my mind and i thought damn what am i doing like for the earth for the people that live here for humanity and yeah how can i stay grounded in that realization 
Well, I think it's about what I try and balance too is having you know, goals and working towards something. And that's what you speak about, having the work ethic and having the drive and being on earth and getting it done and having the gratitude of the mystical and the magical and the fact that this experience is kind of uncertain and we don't really know what we're doing here. And I try and merge the two. And that's my mantra to myself, goals and gratitude, goals and gratitude. It's great to look forward. It's great to move in that way. But then you also have to be here in this body now as well. And I think just talking about service as well, um, there's so many ancient texts and, and religious texts that basically put service as the highest form of enlightenment. And I think when you get to that point of giving back because you want to help others, not because it makes you feel good, the whole savior complex, I think yeah. if we could all start doing a little bit more of that, yeah, the world would be a very different place. But you mentioned God. Do you believe in God? Yeah. What does your God look like, sound like? Who are they? I think that I can't comprehend God. Mm-hmm. I just don't have the capacity in my little human monkey brain <laughs> to comprehend enough what God is. And I think that's where my faith comes in and being grateful for what I can comprehend is enough. And have you always believed in a God or God? As a child, did you used to pray? I think I came to earth with a spiritual assignment you know, to overcome my religious conditioning and define what God is for me and have a more personal relationship with that power and not just reuse the images, the language, the predictions of my parents or my church or my culture or community, but really lean on my own faculties and intuition to be able to define what it is so that it's useful in my own life. Mm. And it's I only ask because I find it interesting that when people do try to put it into words who their God is because I personally don't think that you can put it into words. It's this universal energy that can't be defined and it's different for everyone and it should be different for everyone because it's based on experience, I think. And so... I love that you said, yeah, I can't comprehend it because I think it is, it's bigger than us. Mm. Um, but it's interesting that you said that your parents and your church and your community, did you grow up religious? Mm. Or I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 So how does that look now in your family? Is it, are you allowed to be non religious or have your own version of God that doesn't meet a community standard or? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's um, in my family another topic like nature is, yeah, you know, and I think there's a time to talk about these things and and it's our responsibility if we want to uh, really lean into redefining God in our life is mm-hmm. to talk about it with people mm-hmm. like that. I'm such a big believer in disagreeing with the ideas we grew up with, mm-hmm. particularly if they're limiting you in your growth. And speaking that out loud, like God, the universe, you came here with a voice, so use it. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, that looks like disagreeing with my parents on particular things mm-hmm. and having good discussions about it that are calm and enjoyable and curious um, and funny, you know. I think if we're doing the work, it can get very heavy and whatever you're healing from, we need to take breaks and we need to have humor and we need to connect. Like 
Yeah. Talking about God here. <laughs> We've been asking ourselves these questions for Straight thousands into the of years. Podcast, 15 minutes in, yeah. do you believe in God? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like no one's got really the answer. Truth. Um, but I think we get whispers from the divine and that might be from your creativity or flow, like you said, but for me personally, that looks like whispers from spirits, signs from the universe, Mm. trees, butterflies, birds, the moon, spirits in the sense of that, uh, you have a more intimate relationship. You, You create more meaning with the world around you. That makes you a better person. I love that answer. Um, It's so true and I think people just need to lean into what feels right for them. But I personally grew up in an amazing household where I was encouraged to to find what felt right for me and there was no set religion and my parents both just said, you can believe whatever you want to believe but you have to figure that out on your own. And so I remember being really young, like 10 and and trying to pray and seeing if I could get anything out of that and then asking the universe for signs, which I still do till this day. If I need directional guidance, I'll say like, can you please give me a really clear sign that this is something I need to do? I don't do it often because I think, like you said, we have that intuitive voice within us. If we get quiet, we can find the way. But if I'm really struggling with something that's a really difficult decision, I'll often ask the universe or God for a sign. Um, and I think, like you said, we have to laugh about it as well. Like we don't know why we're here and that's okay too. Um, let's talk about life coaching. Let's change gears a little. What is kind of the main reason people get a life coach? What do they come to you for? So people that are attracted to my work generally come at a point of transition that they know they need some help, some guidance, some clarity. And whether that transitions from changing careers, moving out, moving on from university, going through a breakup, getting your fitness and health sorted, uh, moving countries, starting a company or a business, going all in on your creative endeavors such as music, these are the general uh, examples that I deal with all the time. And it's so amazing to be able to help people like that because, gee, it's like the best conversations I could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. Like our conversations, but I get to do it for a job. That's amazing. You know what I mean? Like yeah, we get yeah. to talk about the sacred voice mm-hmm. and getting in touch with that. We get to talk about non-negotiables. We get to talk about passion projects, but then in really practical ways to make money, to be happier, to connect, you know, things that we desire but never take action on. I help people take action on that kind of stuff. Mm. And the results are just life-changing. You know, people have gone back to uni, people have started apps, people have started businesses, huge contracts, moved countries, moved states, gone skydiving, you know, got a new girlfriend or a boyfriend. The list goes on and on. Healing, emotional healing, like it's just amazing. So, I'm really grateful to be able to do it. I, it's, <laughs> you can't tell. It's amazing. It lights you up. It obviously yeah. makes you feel alive. But I imagine that it would also hold a mirror up to the work that you need to do as yes. well. It's like a relationship, right? You don't realize till you're in it all the stuff that you've been repressing and, and kind of need to work on too because that person literally reflects it back. So what are some things that you've kind of little nuggets that you've found along the way yeah. that you've thought, oh, I need to work more on that? I think the more... I get in integrity with my own personal non-negotiables, values, desires that all require 
courage and honesty and authenticity from me behind closed doors is when my life's expanded to a whole new level in business, in money-making capabilities, in global reach. That's mm-hmm. all been a result of what I've done inside because I think energy speaks louder than words. And that's the point where I kind of can't comprehend it. But I f- have faith that when I do the work, something shifts, something changes, and I just feel better and people can tell. If you could give me a word or a character trait, though, that you wanted to work on or that you are working on, what would it be? Yeah, I'd say integrity. 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 Like acting in a way that's aligned with who you are. Integrity. In, yeah, acting in a way that's aligned with who I am and congruent with uh, my values. Gandhi said, when you think, say, and do in alignment, you have happiness. Mm. And when we're out of alignment, we're, we're just not doing things that we think we should be. So we change it to a must and then you feel so much better. When was the time that you were acting out of alignment? Mm. I think it's so simple. Like my non-negotiables started because I was really bad at sleeping. So I just scroll all the time on my phone, hurt my eyes, wake up shit, have coffee in the morning, and the cycle continues. It was really unsustainable. So whenever I'm scrolling before bed or on my phone way too much or drinking heaps of coffee, I feel like I'm out of alignment. And I know these things sound really simple. So many people are doing them though. Most people are doing this. If you're listening, you're probably doing this. Late at night, going on your phone until you're tired enough to fall asleep. Yeah, I think we all know what we need to do, but we don't actually do it. Yeah, and that's the integrity I'm talking about that really can change your life. And so having a set time to go to bed, putting my phone outside of my room, getting off coffee and and having bone broth in the morning. That's what I've been doing recently and it feels Mm. amazing. But, you know, what, G, all the coffee I was drinking led to crazy anxiety, like crazy anxiety before bed. And that's why I'd scroll because I'd be numbing out. I'd be after that chemical cocktail before bed of like dopamine and then just like pass out. But I heard something the other day. It said cheap dopamine is expensive, so, when you're going for those cheap hits of dopamine that are coming from your phone or a glass of wine or vape or cigarette or um, any unaligned habit without intention, that's cheap and we know it's expensive because we pay for it over the long term. And I think it's, it's, it's really useful for me to just find the difference between pleasure and happiness. Like mm. those things I just mentioned are pleasurable, but they don't lead to happiness. Happiness for me is non-distraction, time in nature, doing something like this, working out, um, patting my dog, like, be, uh, like drawing or painting or whatever it might be. Those clarifying what brings me happiness and things I can really savor brings me down to earth and I can be grateful for it and and it helps me to live the depths of my life, not just the length of it, the depths of it. It's a seriously important point. Like it's such a good way to reframe things because I think that we're in this society we're wired and conditioned for, like you said, cheap hits of dopamine and you really have to retrain your brain to find pleasure in simple things because we're not used to doing that. Like, for example, when I stopped drinking alcohol, 
I had to literally learn and teach myself how to go out and have fun without being drunk because my brain was so used to that. And I know that's it's a whole other conversation with substances involved, but I find that a lot, a lot of people who have addictions in any form, whether it be addiction to their phone, addiction to sex, addiction to drugs, addiction to alcohol, when you change those behaviors, you have to also change the way that you find joy and happiness Yeah, because it's a longer, more sustained effort, but it's actually more rewarding in the end, I find. So, I agree. Yeah, it's I, a tough lesson for young people to learn, I think. Yeah, because we're not taught how to navigate this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And being a school teacher more mm-hmm. of my past, I know that's true. So, I talk about it in my groups, like you need to make time to get to know what it's like to be different. Because this new version of yourself likes different things. It let goes, let go. It's had experiences where it's let go of people, environments, habits, and now you need to get to know this new version of yourself. So take time, have self compassion, have self forgiveness. Um, there's nothing you can make uh, a tree grow quicker. Like you just need time. If you're doing the right things, take it easy on yourself. You're going to get there. I have an interesting question. Yeah. How do you go about dating when you're A, a life coach, so you're used to connecting with people and kind of revamping their life with them, and B, when you're very self-aware? Do you find that you can only date and you're only attracted to people who are self-aware or are you open to kind of being on that journey with someone? Because once upon a time, you were an unaware person too. Yeah, yeah. Last Sorry. night. <laughs> yeah, when I was scrolling on my phone, like one oh, hour no. ago. <laughs> I get so self conscious when you say I'm self aware. I'm like, ah. Oh. So do I, because it feels like, as you said, you're trying to be high and mighty. We're not. We're just saying yeah. we're trying to I'm fucking figure ourselves out, yeah. though. Like, that's what it is. I'm just trying to figure my fucking self out. My brain, my yeah. body, my purpose on this earth. I find that to be self-awareness, not like I am a guru and I have all the advice in the world. It's just this like desire to get to know oneself better. But some people don't have that. I know when I see my friends and my family, sometimes we catch up. I'm like, you you don't know what you need. You don't know why you're acting in the way that you're acting. It's a reaction that you don't know where that's coming from. So when it comes to dating, how does that look? Such a freaking good question, which I generally avoid. (laughs) Let's do it. it. The only reason I avoid talking about dating relationships, I do make a pretty good distinction online because I work online and I post a lot online. I do separate my personal life from my friends and Mm. say who I'm seeing and just things that are more sacred to me. I have definitely been aware of the act of performing online Mm. to bring value to people, but not to just be vulnerably Mm. open to the point of like no return. I don't think (laughs) everyone deserves my story, my intimate moments, my sacred moments because they haven't earned it. And so I definitely curate my story myself online because I'm being watched by students from the past, from my boss, from my colleagues, from my grandmother you know, on Facebook yeah, and um, clients. So that's there. Uh, and like you have to be so freaking real with yourself when you're doing this stuff. I have to be so real with myself. I have to have the courage to be able to put myself out there online and also say that thing in person because the person I'm seeing watches all my stories. Mm, she mm-hmm, mm-hmm. watches all my reels and I feel mm-hmm. like a freaking idiot. I feel like I, I, I'm so embarrassed, but I'm willing to be embarrassed and misunderstood and even seen as cringe if that's yeah. going to 
bring value to a client or inspire someone or you know get someone out and do a burn ceremony or whatever if i'm posting that online is that worth it fuck yeah it is that's worth it mm-hmm. i don't care and if they <laughs> like me and see that and don't like me after it then they're not my person then but, they don't like but she likes you. Me, so that's good that's good <laughs> two things you said you want to protect your sacred self yes how do you do that with clients when i imagine that you would need to share parts of yourself as well to create that vulnerable connection like you can't just keep everything hidden right no not at all so what does that look like if you were to share some parts of your life is it like only when necessary with clients or in particular relationships yeah i think the only examples i use for my clients are ones that relate to the topic that we're talking about to the emotional healing we're going through and in general g like I don't have to share a lot. Analogies I use, say, for instance, a really common analogy I use for life coaching is it's like a gym and I bring the equipment and you lift the weights and that's what's going to help someone grow. So general analogies are like that are great. But then, for instance, when I do a group meditation with my clients, I talk about this experience I had when I was in primary school when a teacher yelled at me mm-hmm. and took me out of the class and berated me and said, this work isn't up to year four standard. Like, what's wrong with you? And I was in tears and I was like, mm-hmm. what, what is wrong with me? And I felt so insecure at that time. Anyway, I went back into the classroom and he was scolding me and all this kind of stuff. And from that moment on, I kind of buried that down and I never addressed how much that affected my voice and speaking up for myself and being creative. So I do this group meditation where um, we find a moment like that in our past because we can rewrite it. and. When I rewrote that memory, I did a meditation. I went back to that point when I was in year four and I saw the picture, the teacher had taken me out of class. I was sitting there on the bench and I was crying and I stepped into that memory and I walked straight up to that teacher and I said, hey, fuck off. How could you talk to a kid like that? You're an adult. And anyway, I gave it back to him and it was so enjoyable because it was all this bent up anger (laughs) that I had towards this dude for so many years. And... He ran off. I pictured him running off. And then I comforted that younger self and said, Hey, listen, he's an idiot. You don't know. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You're amazing. Like, get back in there. And he went back in the classroom and I exited that meditation. Tears flowing, fucking so happy and never thought about it again. And my voice was activated after that experience. So I talked to my clients um, through great simple analogies and personal experiences, which I know they will do and will be able to help them. Amazing. Um, look back to dating. Sure. You said cringe. Why yeah. do you think life coaching is cringe, or why do people think life coaching is cringe? Oh, look, it's either life coaching or putting your own creative endeavors out there. You're a musician. You're singing. You've got a cooking show. You want to start a business. You've got an idea. Everything, everything can be seen as cringe because nowadays we live in that world of instant judgment no context and it gets hits, it gets reactions, it gets judgment. And we must be willing to face that and be willing to be seen as cringe if we want to put our endeavors out there. We must be willing to get hate. We must be willing to be misunderstood because self-development isn't about doing things um, that you don't want to do. It's about getting clear and figuring out what is it that lights you up and it's not going to be easy, but you're going to be willing to push through the obstacles because it's worth it. I also think it's 
it's so true. It's the judgment, but it is also the fact that perfection is so easily attainable in today's society. It's like you can very easily curate all your content, all your social media. And so if you're putting a creative project out in the world or you're starting a business, people expect like out of this world perfection from the first go. Whereas yeah. we're humans, we're learning. No one who's wildly successful right now in the world started at that level. They they built their way and they grew to be that person. So I think it's a tricky one to balance because I'm aware of that too. It's like putting this out into the world. I literally didn't do it for three years because I thought people will think that it's amateur. People will think that I won't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. That That's I'm literally figuring it out. So I feel like you've got to be willing to do it anyway and be willing to be seen as cringe or embarrassing or not good enough. Or But even saying those words now, I'm like, who would actually say that about me or People us? that are not in the arena. That's what Brene Brown talks yeah. about, right? People that are not in the arena, on the field, on the ga- in the game, they are the, the loudest boos come from the cheapest seats, right? Mm. And that judgment is coming from people that aren't risking shit in their life. They're yeah. never going to pay you a cent to be your client, right? Never want to sit on a podcast or listen to it. I don't listen to those people. I listen to people that are in the game, that have got skin in the game and that are risking it and failing and trying again. Those are people I want to be around. Me too. And those words like aren't even in... Well, they're not in my vocabulary. I wouldn't be like, that person is so cringe. I just don't see other people in that way. I think that when you have compassion for others, you just see that that person, even if they are like making a fool of themselves, you just, you think good on you for trying. Like, I think this all the time when I go for long runs and I see people who are like not fit and really struggling and running up a massive hill and they're like barely running, they're just shuffling along. I'm like, fucking good on you. I literally am like, good on you. You go, girl or guy, because I just think you're giving it a crack. I would never look at them and be like, look at them. They suck at running. How embarrassing. So I think it's a mindset shift as well. Um, When you're talking about dating too, I liked that you said that if that person doesn't like the true you, like who you are online, because that's Mm. the truth, then they don't, they're not your person. What is something that you... uh, What's something about you that feels hard to love? When you're dating, when you're meeting someone for the first time, what's something that you like shield a little bit? Mm. I think a lot of this extends beyond just dating but in business and in my professional life and that relates to the mask I put up. That mask I put up to seem a certain way, to get someone's approval, to make them like me is useful for certain situations because it protects you. A mask, whether it's at work or in a relationship, is useful because it protects you from being super vulnerable. But you've got to be conscious that the mask is there for a reason and it has to come down. And you get a signal from your body when it's time to put your mask down when you feel suffocated, where you feel like you've outgrown that version of yourself and you want to talk candidly and openly and honest. For me, that's been as a teacher in the past where I felt so masked up because I had all these expectations of what a teacher should say, should act like, have or enjoy um, particular hobbies, right? And I felt so suffocated by that. And with dating as well, that that mask that I put on initially is to protect myself 
because that person doesn't deserve all of me yet. But I know it's time to bring that down and be open and, and relaxed and let things flow and talk more intimately about myself um, so that I can genuinely connect. And that's my personal experience with it. It mm -hmm. might be different for someone else, but I find that using your mask or being conscious of your mask can be really helpful. But just remember that it's a tool, just like your shield is a tool, right? We all have that, or the armor is a tool. We all have um, mechanisms that protect us from being hurt. But a, a warrior that goes out into a battle has his armor on, sure. But when he comes back to a village, he takes it off so he can be flexible and he can feel relaxed and he can feel light. So just remember to take your armor off where you feel safe. Mm -hmm. I love that answer. Um, how do you go about being with someone who doesn't know how to take their armor off or how to put their armor up, might share too much too soon and it feels overwhelming to you or might not share at all and you feel like you can't get through. I suppose that extends beyond dating as well into just personal relationships. Yeah. How do you go about that? I think energy speaks louder than words there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not my job to fix someone. It's my job to be myself and authentically me and that genuinely and generally inspires people to do the same. So if someone's real masked up and got their armor on, I don't do anything. I just be me. And I'm not seeking for them to take it off or to be their genuine self. I don't even have any interest in that. I'm just trying to be conscious of what they're saying and respond just like a normal grounded human being. But generally what I see from that is people relax. Mm, totally. And that's a little vulnerability like connection hack as well is that when you share something about yourself, the other person feels safe to do the same. Yeah. Because it's kind of like I've given you this piece of me that I'm scared to share and you've given that to me and then it takes your relationship to like a deeper level as well, I think. So in that note, what's something that you're deep – what's something that you're scared to share? Uh, and you can't lie because I know you too well. So if you're lying, I'll no. know that you gave a PR answer. Yeah, it's all this media training. Yes. Something I'm scared to share. To who? Me. To you mm -hmm. and the audience? Or the world, whatever feels right for you. I'm avoiding giving a generic answer. Okay. You know, and, and to stay away from the core of it. And I, gen I do this all the time. I'm like, it's too sacred to share. You don't have to, but yeah, yeah. it is a safe space if you want to. I don't know, G, because I feel that a lot of the work I do gets shared. Mm -hmm. And I think I'll come around to your answer when I think about it more. Okay. But we have a place in a group program, in therapy with a loved mm. one where we can talk about these things and we can cry and we can heal and feel. But the whole purpose of that is so that you can come out into the world and serve. I never understood that. I thought, what's the point to fill my cup? To what end? Mm. It's to serve. Um, what was the question again? What is something that you're afraid to share? Mm. Yeah, such a good question. 
because I don't want to share it. (laughs) (laughs) Something I'm afraid to share, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we'll come back around to it at the end. We can come back to it. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about it. No, (laughs) yeah. Well, (laughs) I feel so unsatisfied. It's like I really want to bring a good answer. I, I feel so happy. I feel so clear. Like I did some incredible journaling this morning, but that kind of stuff I don't want to share. Mm-hmm. It's so personal to me. Something, and that's the only thing that comes to mind. I'm afraid to share it because it's so intimate, you know. Yep. And then I'm like, well, I'm afraid to share that because of other people's judgment and so on. So Does it's other people. So you're afraid of other people's judgment, not Maybe. about losing. Because what I'm trying to discern is, yeah, are you afraid right. to share it because you will lose the mystic and the magical behind it? Like when you speak about the definition of yeah. God, is that why you're yeah. afraid to share it? You're you'll lose your connection mm. or are you afraid to share it because of how the world will yeah. perceive you? No, I think there's something to definitely say about that. And that was like being vulnerable and open around, say, my story uh, and transforming there inspires people, just like I listen to other podcasts and inspires me. But the things I journal about are so contextually deep. I don't think I've drawn a lesson out of that much yet. I'm still processing it. I'm interested in journaling because it's something that I do daily. And I never reread my journals. And I know mm. everyone has a different process. Some people reread to kind of like see if the the lessons are being learnt over time and you're evolving into the person that you want to be. But I don't use it in that way. I use it more like an outlet. I literally just brain dump onto the page. I put some beautiful music on. I have a ritual where I, you know, set 15 minutes aside or however long I need. And I literally just get my thoughts out. I work through issues that I'm having trouble dealing with. I sometimes just write mantras and affirmations over and over and over again. Mm. Um, So, I'm interested in journaling because some people like Matthew McConaughey literally wrote an entire book, Green Lights, based on his old journals. I think it was like 20 years worth of journals he went through and reread. And honestly, to me, the idea of that is cringe. Like, the idea of going back through my journals and having to reread them Mm -hmm. would be horrific because they're so personal and so intimate and so like raw yeah and they're literally the core of who i am so that's how i feel scrolling back a year's worth of reels <laughs> <laughs> and watching my old reels i'm like god this is so like, i'm not that person anymore oh, it's so ugly and i'm just like don't scroll back there <laughs> but that's the thing archiving like, everything right it's <sighs> i just don't want to delete them because i'm willing to be perceived okay and i don't have many fears man and I, because I find that a lot of my fears are social like and they what? don't genuinely hurt me. Like what? Like people's judgment, like um, putting myself out there online, like getting hate, mm. like being misunderstood. Bring it on, baby. Like this is a game. I'm willing to, I'm willing to push into that kind of stuff because in that mess, I find my people and genuinely you can just delete the app, man. Like. That's mm. how I feel a lot about these things. It's not life-threatening. We live in a mental world. So, I wonder then where the fear comes from because for me, I'm like you. I can logically know that I'm worried about people's judgment and I can push forward anyway. I can be like, fucking let's do it. I'm a, I'm a beast. I'm a boss. I'm going to do this anyway. And I have that narrative, which I think is a protective mechanism and also something I do to like get shit done. Yeah. But then I have the... Like it's still there. Like you can logicize an emotion, but the emotion can still exist. Fear, anxiety, anything. You can be like, that's why I feel this way. And I think I think where the work is is to like just accept that you feel it without trying to draw meaning around it and why you feel that way. Like 
when I started going to therapy, my therapist would be like, you don't need to explain to me every single time you feel an emotion, why you feel that way. Because I was just in the habit of being like, this person did this and it made me feel this. And the reason I feel that is because blah, 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 like years worth of narratives and drama and all this conditioning. And she's like, you can just say, I feel frustrated. I feel anxious. I feel annoyed. That pissed me off. You don't have to then give me a reason as to why. And I feel like that's really allowed me to just be at peace with my body and how I react to things and how I process things. And like you were saying with therapy and that, I think we all intellectualize our emotions Mm. because we're afraid to deeply feel them. And like you said, you went through a very methodological analysis of your feelings and that's just, you know, classic example of intellectualizing. I still do it. I still do it to this day. And that's okay. Mm. That's okay because that's what you've learned to do. Yeah, and I think it allows me to feel more like at peace with my emotions. Like if I'm feeling pissed off that someone did something, rather than just like saying my higher self would say, what about that is triggering me? What's frustrating me particularly? What is like making, what's holding the mirror up to me? What work do I need to do? But my lower self is like, they were trying to hurt me. They knew that was going to piss me off. They did that deliberately. I think that's another distinction is like higher and lower selves and how can we how can we move forward from a place that is like serving our higher self, not blaming others, not being a victim, mm-hmm. not putting reasons around your emotions, just allowing it to be there. Something I really dislike is leapfrogging over emotions to try and become Explain conscious. what that is. When you're angry and in that lower self state and you go into your therapist or into your life coaching session or to your friend or even alone and you're in your head, you want to leapfrog over the emotions. You want to emotionally bypass anger, guilt, hate, jealousy and become this enlightened spiritual person that doesn't have any woes, is not affected by the 3D. But I think it's such a healing experience because what's in the way is the way. We go through it and we feel it. and we the obstacle is the way. That's right. We right embrace holiday. our humanity. Mm. It's a, like experience the jealousy, experience the anger. It's there for a reason. They're trying to tell you something and give yourself permission to feel it because it's only through that is that we're going to be able to get to the other side. And it, come back, it comes back to knowing yourself because if you don't know yourself well enough to know that you're reacting to those emotions in a harmful way, for example, someone pisses you off so you go and get drunk or you go and binge eat or you totally. go and addictively go to the gym for four hours, like if you're not aware of that's how you're reacting because you were feeling a certain way, then you're bypassing your emotions. Yeah. You're so right and like – this is why I like being a life coach because we get to talk about this stuff where it's so useful and personal when we didn't learn it in school and it really helps. I want to ask you, if I was your client, yeah. what would be the first question that you would ask me to kind of get clear on? Or just any sort of, <laughs> don't hold back. <laughs> what would be a suggestion of yours? You the know first me question well. I ask you or mm-hmm. any client in a me. session is uh, what do you want? 
in what area of my life? Good question. <laughs> right? And that's the question. That's a key creator question. It's going to drive through all of my coaching. What do you really want? Because it moves out of problem-based anxiety motivation, being motivated by your problems, being motivated by avoidance, being motivated by obligation. What do you really want moves you to intention-based motivation. It moves you towards things that are scary but are worth it because deep down you're acknowledging your own desires now. So I want to ask you what do you really want in any area of your life? Mm. And that's where your vision board comes in handy and figuring out what do I want in my relationships, my spirituality, my career, my money-making capabilities, my house, uh, my transport, my health and fitness. So in my programs, we do all that. Like I was just talking to them on the way down here, actually everyone's doing their vision board for this next six months. Mm -hmm. What's on yours? I can show you. It's show over there, yeah. but it's um so good this time. I've got so many cool little mm -hmm. photos of like, um, places that I want to visit, of burn ceremonies I want to do in mm -hmm. person this year, um, relationships, love, prayer, motorbikes, surfing, mm -hmm. you know, real simple stuff. But to be able to have that now on my phone in my favourites, I'll be able to see it. Like, and this is awesome Mine's as well. actually, I'm just showing Jesse, mine's actually my desktop of that my laptop. Awesome. So I do that every year too. And it's like you said, seeing it every day when I log onto my computer, having my wallpaper be my vision board, it's like a new level of inspiring. Yeah. It's that intention-based motivation. You see that it triggers a reminder instead of you seeing like the news that triggers mm. anxiety. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when you have conscious habits and like James Clear talks about, we don't rise to the level of our habits. We fall to the level of our systems. That vision board is just another system that you're falling back on that's raising the average level bar of your happiness, intention, purpose here on earth instead of the systems of drinking, avoiding, Netflix, scrolling, numbing. Like if that's your day-to-day. -day, well, that is our day-to-day -day yeah. for so many people. Mm. And the transformation that you're going through if you're listening to this, you need to get around other people that normalize uh, these new standards of what you expect and tolerate and uphold for yourself because you want to get on a new level, then you need to begin to expect that from yourself. So if someone's sitting at home and they don't know what they want, they don't know how to put a vision board together, they've maybe been living in a way that doesn't mm. feel right for them, what's step one? I think step one, G, is figuring out your non-negotiables, like a rock that you can come back to that's going to serve during this journey of transformation. And my non-negotiables started with just getting better quality sleep, of having a sleep routine. So that intuitively felt right for me. For someone else, it might look like doing more yoga or exercising or um, drinking more water or having a better diet. So I'd recommend if you want, I'm, I'm sure I could share with Georgia my free non-negotiables checklist, which you can download and get an idea of things that you can add to yours. But just create three to five things that you can lean on when you're going through this healing, when you're going through this transformation that can act and serve as a rock for you to always come back to yourself. And speaking of vision boards, I think it's such a beautiful time of the year to get clear on kind of your dreams and what you're striving towards. Can you share one of your dreams for this year or in life? Just what's something that you're working towards? Mm. This year, I'm doing more in-person free events on the Central Coast. Mm-hmm. 
What does that look like? That looks like burn ceremonies, new moon ceremonies, and just small connection groups because I was doing a meditation and it just really came down clear from my sacred voice, like, this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm so excited to do it. So up my alley and I think it will be a really good avenue to lead to retreats and so on um, later down the track. And I just love it, G. Like it's a part of my life anyway. So I'm just like, let's open this up. I'm I'm so keen to share this with people. And I'm thinking more about your question now as well around what I'm afraid to share. And I think I've come to a pretty good answer. I'm afraid to die with my music in me. And that's the best kind of way I can put it in a simple sentence. To be in alignment, to be attuned to your purpose means that you can sing a good song. You can still sing a song out of tune and a lot of people are singing a song out of tune right now because their habits, their goals, their definition of success is not aligned with who they truly are, with what they came here to do on planet Earth. So a lot of the work I help people do is clarify what that is. Get in alignment, get attuned to your purpose and who you really are so that you can sing a good song. Why do people need to know what they're put on earth for? Because some people will say, I don't know what I'm here for and I'm fine with that. Like I can imagine my grandparents saying that like, oh, it's too deep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fucking hell it's so true no we're too Virgo it's just yeah. like 3D <laughs> as but like you know what I mean they would just yeah. think it's too deep Georgia like it's just oh, it's, I used you to get know, that all the time it's right? too intense I get this it's too intense it's too much yeah like, you think too much just enjoy just yeah, live yeah. life for I'm sure, like sure. I have to know yeah, these yeah. things for and me I to live that life is part of our anxiety to find our purpose and it's really normal I think our grandparents and that ugh, depends but have found their way. Maybe, maybe they have, maybe they haven't. But um, for us, figuring that out, it's a personal thing. Mm-hmm. So we have a closing tradition on the podcast that every guest has to answer the same question. Okay. So there's no right or wrong. You can just answer in a way that is as brief or in depth for you that is feels true for you. And the question is, Jesse. What is the meaning of life? Oh, my God. <laughs> Did you expect anything else? Did I thought it was going to be like, what's your favorite song right now? <laughs> you know me better than that. There's no icebreakers on this yeah, show. There's none. That's what we're here for. What is the meaning of your life right now? I don't really think about this anymore, and I used to a lot, but I think the quality of our questions determines the quality of our answers. So getting good questions, and I think this is really uh timely because of chat GPT, the AI uh, software that's coming up. I think it's chat GPT or GPI or something. You'll notice when you go onto AI softwares, the quality of the question will determine the quality of the answer. And to ask something like what you just asked can call, call so much forward. But I'm more interested in what are good questions uh, for us to live a better, more fulfilled, deep life while we're here and how can we, yeah, make good meaning out of it? What's the meaning of life, geez? Yeah, sure, make, you know, make good art, have fun, ask good questions, be curious, expand yourself. 
other people might say another thing, but I'm still thinking about it, which makes me think maybe it's a bad question. I don't think it's a bad question. I think that we, maybe I am, maybe I'm bad at this, but- No, I'm not saying about you. I've thought about that question a lot. I think the fact that it's so basic is what allows people to answer in a a flexible way, in a broad way, because someone might say, the meaning of life is- to figure out the meaning and others might say the meaning of life is and then have this really detailed response and I'm sure on this show we'll get all different responses so that's why I'm interested to see like what does it feel right what feels right for you what feels like your meaning Mm. again I think you know full circle moment right like coming back to the start it's one of those questions where I can't answer because Mm -hmm. I can't comprehend it and I, and I feel so self-conscious right now saying that on a podcast with someone because it's someone satisfying and we want those sound yeah. bites, we want that value. <laughs> but I'm just being, trying to be real here. I think my meaning of life is to get the fuck over myself and enjoy being a part of nature and, and being a part of the earth and remembering that I'm connected to something so much more grand that I can even understand and I belong here. On that note, thank you for coming on Life Chats. You've been amazing. You were born for this. Can you please tell the audience where they can find you on social or otherwise? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me at mind underscore by underscore design on Instagram, Jesse McGuire. And yeah, if you ever want coaching or anything like that, just reach out to me. I post a lot of stories and have a lot of reels. So check them out. Make sure you scroll back to the really old ones. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Share one from like 2020. (laughs) I'll be sharing a few of those. Uh, I'm keen to make some new reels from this. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jesse. This was awesome. This is great. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Please let me know who you'd love to hear from next or if you have a story to share, I'd love to get in touch with you. You can connect directly with me on Instagram at Life Chats Podcast, one word. And every review and share really does help so much in the early days of building a podcast. So if you've enjoyed this conversation, please share it on social media or you can snap a pic of where you might be listening and jump onto Apple Podcasts and give us a review. I really do appreciate the support more than you Have a beautiful morning, afternoon or evening wherever you may be listening in the world. I'm Georgia May and this is Life Chats.